Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Will you pray with me, Lord? It is, it is our hope and desire that your Word would open up and that we could get a glimpse of the kind of God that you are and the kind of church people that you are forming us to be. And so as a potter forms the clay, I pray that your word would continue to form us from the inside out. Jesus, in your name, amen. Please be seated. So we're continuing our uh, series in Philippians, and we're at chapter two this week. I'm, I'm reading in Philippians 2, and if, if you're like me and you've read Philippians before, you have kind of like, okay, chapter 1 has one kind of thought in it, and then chapter 2 has another thought in it. But what some versions leave out is the therefore. And, and if there's a therefore to begin chapter 2, it must refer to something else, right? It must be there's a, there, there's a reason, there's a therefore. And so it begins and says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ. And, and I had to say, wait a minute, what's the therefore, therefore, right? <laughs> and so I went to the, the previous chapter, and I saw that he said this, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's interesting, the word granted has at its root uh, the Greek word for gift. Gifted to believe and gifted to suffer. For Christ's sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So, so he ends with suffering. Therefore, I'm like, huh, therefore what? Well, you know what I noticed? Suffering happens, and many times when suffering happens... Um, it can lead to conflict in the church, right? I mean, the church is on a mission, right? We've got a good news to proclaim that Jesus came and he died for the sins of the world. The Greek word in John is cosmos even. He died for the sins of the, the world that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you know, sometimes when suffering happens, we forget our mission, don't we? We get off mission. I remember years ago, Gretchen uh, was pregnant with our first child. And, um, you know, you reach a certain stage and you let everybody know and you send out notes and people send you stuffed animals. You, you know what I'm talking about. And then you miscarriage. And people are still sending you congratulations and you're getting the word out. But what do you, how do you, you know, how do you get it out? And your heart is broken and... And I remember walking into church after the miscarriage, and <clears throat> the uh, pastor's daughter-in-law was handing out bulletins, and she's really pregnant, a little more than JoJo even. And uh, she says to Gretchen and I, there must have been something wrong with the baby. You know, what does that feel like if you've ever been on the other side of that, right? I, I, like, thank you. And you just like walk into church with a knife in your heart. Now, there's lots of ways to respond to that, right? We could get back at her by gossiping, by telling everybody what, how bad. You know, you know I mean, there's lots of ways. Those kind of things can cause division, can get you off 
mission, right? Years later, I worked for her husband, and he said, do you remember that time? And I'm like, yeah, I remember it. He goes, can I just ask for forgiveness for my wife? I'm like, you sure can. You know, I mean, we had let it go, but you don't, you don't forget that. You know, when bad things happen or difficult or suffering happens, it's so easy to get off mission and to, to start dividing over stuff. I mean, I, I had a procedure done where I was not to eat. Anybody get hangry? This guy kind of cuts me off, you know, and I'm on his bumper, and I'm thinking I should just run into him. Just, and I'm having to talk to myself. I, I'm saying out loud, let it go. Let it go. Like, I want the voice to get in. But internally, I am not letting it go because I am hangry. And, you know, like, how dare you treat me? You know, unbelievable. But that's suffering. Even minor sufferings can lead to divisions on the road and elsewhere. It leads to disunity, doesn't it? And I remember Jim last week, he totally made me laugh when he was talking about how suffering can make our world small. If you were here, you remember, and he's like, yeah, when, when my class got put online and I just started complaining about it, and then he says, and then after I uh, stopped complaining and I thought he was going to say something beautiful, like I just gave thanks, and he said, I started whining, you know, and I, and I just started laughing. But isn't that the way we are? Isn't that the way I am? Isn't it suffering can make us small and begin dividing over things. And I think you've seen that in our world, how division, and we get off mission. We got this wonderful gospel message, and, and we can so easily get off mission and have disunity. I was thinking of my mom who had pancreatic cancer and also had like metal rods in her back and titanium wire, and she just lived with pain. I mean, that was her life, live with pain. And even after the, she was survived the pancreatic cancer, she got regular infections inside because she didn't have, like, the, the open and closing things and food would get in there. And, you know, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And, and I was talking to somebody this week, and he says, he, he was uh, mentioning my mom, and he said, you know, your mom got through to me where nobody else could. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, people would talk about Jesus, and I'd be like, heard it, don't need it, leave me alone. But your mom knew how to get through to me with those notes and those letters. She was a prolific note and letter encourager, writer, and, and she got in there. And when she was in the hospital, this guy jumped in his car, went down, and said to the nurse, I just want to stand outside the door and pray for her. And she goes, oh, you can go in, you know. And, and, and he is walking with Jesus now, and the Lord got a hold of him, and there's beautiful things going on. And, and yet, my mom suffered but stayed on mission. And I think when Paul is writing this, he sees the suffering, and he's like, guys, you're getting off mission because you're divided, right? And so suffering can lead us to get off mission. So how do we get on? I think we get on one way is by experiencing God. Look what Paul said here. He goes, if there's any encouragement in Christ, so in God, Christ gives you encouragement. If he's given you any of it, if he's given you any consolation of his love, if there's any fellowship of his spirit, any affection and compassion. So if you have tasted of any of the goodness of God, Paul is saying, I've got something to say to you. And I started thinking, are we tasting of the goodness of God? Like, how do you taste of the goodness of God? 
Paul is saying in suffering, you read in 2 Corinthians, we suffered, we even thought of like giving up our, our lives, but then the God of compassion came to us and gave us compassion that we can give on to others. But how do you experience God? Do you have regular experiences of him? Because it's out of that experience that he says, if you've got anything, make my joy complete by having unity. Unity of mind, unity of love, unity of spirit, unity of purpose. That's mission, right? So how do you actually stay connected? I like what uh, Michael Cusick said here. He said, if we're ever going to learn to freely delight in God, we must first learn to be delighted in. If we're ever going to learn to freely delight in God, we must first learn to be delighted in. You know, there's a, in Isaiah, it talks about how as a bridegroom yearns for, like, his, his bride, so the Lord yearns for us. And for, for me, I need to know first how much he delights in me, and then my heart opens up and responds, God, you love me like that. Like, how do you do it? How do you get in touch with that so you have unity? Sometimes people are like, I just come for the sermon. I, 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 I don't want to be there for all that singing time. I don't, I don't have time for that, all that emotion, you know. And I'm like, that's fine, but I think you're missing out, you know. I think you're missing out because there's something about expressing our love for the living God. And even if you don't feel it, that's okay. We're not seeking feelings. The funny thing about feelings are feelings come and go. Sometimes have you ever thought about, oh, I feel something, and then they go away? Because feelings are like a wave at the ocean, and the ocean wave comes up on your feet, and then you look down at it, and it goes away. When I'm turning my attention onto God, sometimes I have a sense of God's presence and feelings, but if I start thinking about my feelings, I'm not thinking about God anymore. Guess what? The source of my feelings are not my feelings right? It's God. So you kind of just forget about yourself. If you feel something great and you just, you worship the living God, you take communion and you have this tangible taste and you're like, Lord, thank you for who you are and that you give yourself to me. And I'm one with you and I'm one with my brothers and sisters. Just, so do you experience God in worship? One guy said to me this week, he said, last week, Jojo was singing this song, King of Kings, and I started crying. And I'm like, was it that bad? No, I'm kidding. And, uh, and he's, no, but he, I'm sorry, Jojo, if you're here somewhere. Um, no, it, it wasn't that bad. He was being touched, and not by Jojo as much as the Holy Spirit, right? She's just a, a servant, and, and he, he's experiencing something of God. Do you have ways where you experience God, and even in your own life, I remember Emotionally Healthy Spirituality when we went through these, these classes, um, and they were great, and they were good, and part of the bedrock of the course was daily time with the Lord. Who would have thought that? Starting with silence and ending with silence and having, you know, some devotional time in the middle, and, and how important it is to just be grounded in that. And he would say that you always have to do emotionally healthy spirituality before you do emotionally healthy relationships, because unless you're connected to God, that relational thing just won't work, right? And, and how do you personally connect? Because if it's just a church where we connect, I, I don't think we're going to be the people of unity, because so much comes against us, like we need regular time with God 
in a sense, at his feet, hearing from him, learning from scripture, sitting in stillness before the living God. So he says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation or love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same Spirit, intent in one purpose. That's on mission. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. What if that described the church? Wow, those people really look out for each other. They really look out for the interests of others. And they even serve people that aren't part of their community, part of their body. Like, so I think the second thing that keeps us on mission is we need to wake up to our Kinodoxia, right? I looked at somebody last night and he's like, what are you doing, Doug? Why do you put Greek words on the screen? Kinodoxia. So, um, kino, empty, doxia, glory. We sing the doxology sometimes. That's, that's the word for glory. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. It means you're empty of glory. And this is the state of humanity. We got this hole inside our soul. And ever since the fall, we want to fill it with something. And, and Paul is saying, selfish ambition, get, get rid of that. That's, that's what we see in Eve when she says, I want to be like God, right? And, and, and we use our selfish ambition to fill up this emptiness inside of us, and we're always looking. We, we name drop. We put lots of pictures on social media, Right? Just, I remember looking, I, I should, maybe I'll tell, all right, I'll tell the story. I remember looking out from the balcony in Florida, and I'm like, what are those girls doing out there on the beach? Oh, they're, they're taking pictures for Instagram and other social media. I'm like, unbelievable. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and and it, you're, you, you, what are you doing? Well, if I get a lot of likes, it goes into my emptiness. And it makes me feel a little full. I get a little dopamine when I check it, you know, in my brain. And I, and, but it's this emptiness that is always going on inside of us. The world is starting to tap into this. And they're saying it's not the best way to live. Uh, I was reading an article in Fast Company, and it says, we're defining success wrong, and it's hurting our happiness. Go that. We're defining success wrong, and it's hurting our happiness. He, he said this, um, it's wrong to seek external validation. Now, understand, this is a business magazine. As the youngest of five siblings, I desperately wanted to be noticed. I unconsciously competed for my parents' attention. I always looked for attaboys for my mom and dad. This was before smartphone social media. Now, in addition to feedback from our families and peers, we seek digital likes, follows, emoji-filled comments from people we may not even know. Happiness is an inside job. It's not to say that we don't care about what others think. We do, but true happiness, true freedom, freedom comes when we focus on ourselves and on our journey. Instead of looking outside, we develop inner strength. We have self-compassion. And of course, there's no Jesus in this, but there's some truth in this. He's discovered, isn't there? And this is what Christians, we say, Lord, I see, I wake up, 
to this glory void, this desire to have weight and significance within myself, and I let go of that. And I, I'm going to stop seeking it in my business and in my achievements and in, in, in other things, right? And, and he said it's wrong to seek it by over-identifying with your career, right? I had a 40th class reunion I'll talk about in a minute, and... And, you know, you used to go to the reunions and just tell them all what you're doing and how you're achieved. You know, when you hit 40, you're just happy people are alive, you know. <laughs> you're alive! So am I! That's great! Right? You know, <laughs> uh, so he, he says we over-identify with our careers. Uh, we're, we're first getting to know someone. We immediately start talking about our work. Our own identity, our self-worth is often linked to our place on the career ladder. I'm going to a pastor's conference. There can be lots of posturing and positioning, you know. I, I found that moving up the professional ladder didn't make me any happier. In fact, some career choices I made damaged long-term relationships. Our careers, our status, these are things that, are, that often impact how we think the outside world measures our own success. <laughs> Look at this. I've come to understand that the job we're so obsessed with right now, the one we're sacrificing everything for because of the stories we're telling ourselves, will likely be reduced to bullets on a resume or LinkedIn profile in 15 years. You know, at a funeral, people aren't talking about you know, successful careers too often. They're talking about relationships right? And the most important is our relationship with Jesus. And, and then he goes on, he says, comparing yourself to others. And I think this is what Paul would say too. Are you guys awake to your glory void, to what you're doing? Do you boast? Do you try to tell people who you are? Or, or are you able to say, Lord, if I'm somebody to you, it's okay if they think I'm a nobody, right? If I'm somebody to you, Lord, it's okay. Like I can do this great job. I can do that. Right? Like, like I'm, I'm somebody to you. I read this uh, article. It's from The Onion. Now, understand, The Onion is a satirical website that does fake news on purpose. And I've posted things before, and people take it seriously, and you're like, no, no, this, it's, it's satire. So I'm going to read you some satire of someone, and you'll see why it's a good illustration. Unambitious loser with happy, fulfilled life still lives in hometown. Longtime acquaintances confirmed to reporters this week that local man Michael Husmer, an unambitious 29-year-old loser who leads an enjoyable and fulfilled life, still lives in his hometown and has no desire to leave. Claiming that the aimless slouch has never resided more than two hours from his parents and still hangs out with high school friends. Sources, of Husmer's, sources close to Husmer report that the man who has meaningful, lasting personal relationships and a healthy work-life balance is unmotivated washout who's perfectly comfortable being a nobody for the rest of his life. I've known Mike my whole life. He's a good guy, but it's pretty pathetic that he's still living on the same street he grew up on and experiencing a deep sense of personal satisfaction. Childhood friend David Gorman said of the unaspiring, completely gratified do-nothing, as soon as Mike graduated from college, he moved back home, started working at a local insurance firm. Now he's nearly 30, 
Uh, he, he's in the exact same town he was born. He's still at the same small-time job, and he's extremely content in all aspects of life, home, and professional life. It's really sad. I don't know how anybody could let themselves end up like that, his friend said. But he seems perfectly fine being nothing more than a genuinely happy deadbeat for the rest of his life. Fast forward to the end of the article. It says, I'm glad I got out of there, said Mike, his cousin, a 33-year-old attorney at a large law firm who hasn't seen Husmer, his closest playmate, for nearly six years. The last thing I'd ever want to do is have loving family nearby and feel a sense of pleasure when reflecting on my own life. And he's a big failure. Everyone runs into him when they visit home for holidays. Just look at that loser with that contented grin and positive outlook day in and day out. The poor guy doesn't even know how bad he has it. So um, have you awakened and are you awake to this desire within you to find a glory outside of Christ? Because what does that do for us? It's division because I'm competing with you and not loving you. Are you awake to your own kinodoxia? The thing that keeps us on mission is experience, our experience of God, waking up to our own selfish hole in our soul. And, and then we also stay on mission as we help others flourish. We help others flourish. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. I mean, so often, I think we miss this in the church, don't we? I mean, what did Jesus do? This is like the picture that we are to have. He, he's talked about humility there. He said, he said, but with humility, and I love Lewis on humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's, it's kind of a, a self-forgetfulness. Oh, yeah, I am in the picture, right? I think Lewis said something like, meet a truly humble person, and, and, and he won't be, be somebody who's always talking about himself. He's just kind of a normal guy, like going about his life. I was thinking about this. I had a conversation with Jim last week, and, and um, he said, uh, I woke up at 2 in the morning. Jim, who preached here, and uh, been awake ever since. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. I know, you know why? Because sometimes when you're preaching and you're preparing messages, you carry an anxiety, and you also have spiritual force, forces that are against you too. And I prayed for him as he was up here, you know, working. But I mean, I get that. I remember talking to somebody who used to do some uh, services for hospice, and uh, when people passed, they'd say, hey, will you do the funeral? And then she stopped doing it because the company changed their policy. And she said, you know, at least I won't be going to the bathroom so much when I prepare. And I'm like, oh, I know that every Saturday, you know. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, because I carry in my body the stress, right? The stress of, of the calling that God has. And, and I thought of Jim and I thought, had he, he's, he's, in his 70s, and he's still teaching part-time, and he's still preaching, and you know what? He could sleep a good night if he stopped. 
And yet, there's human flourishing that took place because he was willing to, to forget about himself and give himself to others. Last week, I, I said I had a 40th reunion. Well, we invited some of the reunion people to come here. And so we had some reunion people, and there's a picture of some of the Lutheran West people. And one of the gals posted this wonderful thing on Facebook when she got home. She said, back in 1978, my family moved to Ohio from Illinois. I was 15 years old, about to be a sophomore in high school, not happy at all that my dad had moved, was moving us. I knew nobody in Ohio. I hated the move and missed home, even though I was fortunate to get the lead role of Maria in The Sound of Music that year. But more than anything, I realized I had not moved there. Uh, had I not moved there, I never would have met those same people, many of those same people who helped bring some joy back into my life, especially this weekend. So she goes on to talk about Jim and what a blessing that she had looked forward to seeing Jim because I told him I was on the planning committee, I was going to have Jim preach. And she said, you know, I had no idea that all those difficulties, all that suffering that I went through, how God used it even in my life now. And even hearing Jim preach, if you remember the message, it solidified for her that God was in it at the time, and that difficult time turned out for her good. And, and so there was a big picture. Uh, that unhappy teenager didn't understand the path God was putting her on. And I only saw what I didn't like, and I refused to see any good, but this weekend I was able to see the big picture. I was able to see the blessing that I received from that difficult move. So how? How, how do we make this happen? How do we stay on mission? How do we stay in the journey together? To how do we merely not look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others? Well, I believe that we look at Jesus. This is what Paul rolls into. And this is like one of the big pinnacle pieces of Scripture. Everybody will say this is like uh, either a hymn or a poem that Paul could have written or maybe he heard about and he stuck it in there. And, and this is something that they probably had memorized, this beautiful picture of Christ. And Paul says, well, have this mind in yourself, in y'all, which is in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So real quick, when we think form, we think of like cookie cutter, we think externals, but the Greek had a word for form, for the external picture, and that's schema, and he used a different word here, and this form has to do not just like the outside, but also the inside, and so he's saying, though Jesus was in the form of God, he didn't think equality be grasped. Well, it wasn't he grasped for it, but it's hold on to. Now, you and I, anytime we know God's will, I know your word says this, but I'm going to do something else, we're grasping at God, right? We're like Eve. I want to be my own God, right? Anytime we do that, we're grasping. But Jesus let go of it. And he said he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So you and I, as we are on mission, we see ourselves as, as Lord, if Jesus took on the form of a servant, then as I take on the form of the servant, I am you to this world. And what will happen to you is what happened to Jesus in, in many respects. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And although um, they're not confessing we're Lord, you're part of the body. The body of Christ is the ark that we're connected to. And if Jesus was planted in the soil and he came up, you and I, we get planted, we sink, we, we give of ourselves for others. And there's this beautiful new birth that happens. Even, even in our days here, we receive blessings out of it, but more in the life to come. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the mission of the church. First, that we're so sinful you had to die, and yet we're so loved that you chose to die. And maybe there's some here, there's some listening online, and they've been just holding on. They're the ones who are grasping at godlikeness, and we're calling the shots. And it's time to open our hands and say, you're Lord, and I'm your servant. You're Lord, and I will follow. Jesus, thank you. Keep us on mission in these difficult times that you would be glorified. In your name we ask this. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.